Lux of the Royal Deluxe Podcast. <laughs> it's over. We're free. We're, we're finally free, guys. The 2022 Kansas City Royals season is now over. We don't have to talk about it anymore. Well, we do, but we don't have to stress about it anymore. We don't have to worry about what's going to happen tomorrow, the next day. No more worrying about what sort of horrors or atrocities await us. Now, at the very least, for a few more months, we can relax again. We can move on, do other things, and not have to worry about whether or not we're going to see Ryan O'Hearn hit today or any any other day any given day it's finally over our nightmare our six month nightmare has ended 67 and 95 that is the final record for the royals and i'm actually a little bit disappointed not because it's not as many wins as i expected i mean that that's a that's a given i i think but because 66 and 96 would have been so much better because you would have had a 666 right in there, which would confirm my theory that God hates the Royals. For all the the Jesus loving that this team uh, partakes in, it doesn't seem like it's a reciprocated love because I don't see any any uh, celestial power or being helping out this team. Not this year, anyway. Luke Weaver, Mister Bible Glove. What was his ERA? Like thirty? I I don't I don't know. I I don't really. I mean, look, people can be religious, and that's cool and all. I'm, I don't have like anything against that specifically. It's just that I don't think it contributed a whole lot. And given how poorly some things have gotten, I don't know. Maybe maybe we should t- look for guidance elsewhere. I I don't I just don't think it's helping us win a lot of baseball games is all I'm saying. But having a nice 666 in the record would would be a nice bit of irony, I think. Plus you'd have a 9, so you'd have some nice 69 memes in there as well. It's a nice orderly even number, two even numbers at that. But of course we couldn't have that. Of course in this chaotic hellscape of a season, we had to finish with two odd wacky numbers, 67 and 95. That's just uh, brilliant. Actually, that's not even right. It's It was 60, 65 and 97. Even the made-up record that I'm talking about wasn't correct. Even, even the reality is more disappointing than that. We can't have anything these days, can we? So we finished the series with a three-game, though technically six-game series against the Cleveland Guardians, a team that is like a a team that people, you know, I mean, I don't think anybody was taking them seriously as a contender for the division or or the playoffs or anything. I didn't even think they were going to be a 500 or better team this season. But in any case, you know, for, for all the talks of how weak the American League Central is and how easy it would be to uh you know win this division. The Guardians walked away with 92 wins on the season. Like for all intents and purposes they weren't that bad and that's because they had a very very strong surge in September and October. They were uh, 68 and 64 on just September 4th and they 
finished 22 games above 500. Pretty impressive. You know, and we also talk about their lineup as like, oh, their lineup's not very good. It's basically just Jose Ramirez and some other dudes. But they had some kind of miraculous season from Andres Jimenez. And Stephen Kwan came up and was one of the like best hitters in baseball somehow. <laughs> Crazy how that worked. Their lineup is actually pretty solid when you think about it. And their pitching has been, you know, as good as ever. So, uh, yeah, Guardians, good team actually um but we faced three we faced them six times at the end of the season including this final three game stretch so we might as well talk about that on october 3rd the royals beat them by a score of five to two and uh it was actually a nice little game it was the last start of zach Greinke in his season maybe his career who knows but he went six innings, only gave up one earned run. That leaves him with a 3.68 ERA for the season. That's good. Like, I think that's probably a lot better than what we were expecting because he's finished in the low fours for the last couple of years. So, yeah, Zach Greinke was uh, pretty, pretty good this season, actually. He was better than, you know, decent, which is all that we really wanted from him because, you know, we were probably thinking, oh, this might be his last season ever. But I don't know if he's going to pitch this well. Maybe he does come back next season. In fact, he had a little bit of an injury in the spring, but when he came back from that injury, his final 16 starts of the season post-injury, he posted a 2.85 ERA. He he was actually good, and it's probably thanks to Kauffman Stadium being a great place to pitch in. He had a 1.91 ERA at home, which is awesome. We're going to ignore his ERA away. Although, you know, six innings, one earned run on edited away stadium, so that helped. And um, yeah, in the, in, the, in the second half, the 13 starts he pitched for that, 2.5 ERA. So Zach Greinke finished the season really, really strongly. Um, I've been saying that I would like not be super enthusiastic about Greinke coming back, but I've definitely warmed up to it a lot more uh, as he has put together a very, very strong second half. So now, you know what? If the Royals do want to bring him back for another year, I, I guess I'll, I will be um, open to that. And then after that... They uh, kind of sent out the uh, quote-unquote A-team bullpen. First of all, it was Amir Garrett, who might not necessarily be uh, considered the A-team of relievers, although it's not like we have a lot of A-tier relievers anyway. Uh, but he had a scoreless outing. He had a scoreless inning, so that finishes him. His he, Sorry. <laughs> Let me start over. He finished his season with a 4.96 ERA, which is not good, but it was... 3.52 in the second half. So he's also someone who got a little better in uh, as the season went along. I do think he struggled a little bit. Or rather, like, I, I think I remember April, he was pretty good. And then it was like May and June, he started, you know, really uh, falling off. But yeah, uh, as the season went along, he definitely got better. So not not a bad finish to him, for to his season, rather. Um, If the Royals want to bring him back, that should be okay, but I can also understand if they want to move on from him, because we do have a lot of options internally, or, or potentially, 
I don't actually know if uh, we have a lot of options for relievers internally, but if they want to go get, if they want to sign like an actual reliever, then, you know, there's someone who will probably be better than Amir Garrett. Just saying we probably can do better, but he can be brought back, I guess. I'm, I'm neutral to that. But Dylan Coleman, definitely one of our better relievers. He had a scoreless inning and he finishes his Season with a 2.78 ERA, 2.35 in the second half. He was, um like, not only was he good, but he was consistent. So there was no, like, big difference between the first and second half. Dylan Coleman was just straight up good. And that this probably is someone that can be, like, your, your typical eighth inning guy. Even if, you know, this season we didn't have much of a typical... Uh, role in the bullpen. Mike Matheny didn't really play roles with the uh, specific roles with the bullpen, which is fine. That, that's that's good, I think. And then Scott Barlow had a scoreless inning, and he finishes his season with a two point one eight ERA, which is just outright fantastic. And he's a, another guy who was basically the face of consistency this season. Two point three five. ERA in the second half, actually. So, I guess uh, he, I guess he got worse as the season went along, but that's fine. Uh, he had 24 saves and a uh, only four blown saves, so he didn't come out for a lot of traditional save situations because, like I said, Mike Matheny didn't really use the bullpen in traditional roles. No specific like, oh, this guy pitches the eighth, this guy pitches the ninth, which is which is good. I, I think this is fine. Although, funny enough, Scott Parlow won seven games. Which, um, that's probably, I want to see how that stacks up against, okay, um, that's the second most of this pitching staff. <laughs> yeah, if you want to go by, uh, wins, uh, yeah, Brady Singer got 10 wins, and then it's Scott Barlow with 7, then Brad Keller with 6, although that almost seems shocking, I'm kind of surprised Brad Keller had 6 wins this season, so, uh, yeah, but, uh, g good for you, Scotty, um, and now you do have to ask if the Royals are going to be interested in moving him in this offseason because he's only around for two more years. We only have two more years of control. So at this point, it's kind of like you either, you got to use him or move him, I, I think. Uh, or, or rather, move him or lose him, I think. Uh, I, like, I don't want to imply that Scotty is going to like be bad in future seasons or anything because I think this season he's actually shown that he can continue working as a great reliever even if he doesn't have his best stuff like we have seen lots of outings from him when he's where he's not throwing his fastball as much and he's relying on his breaking stuff a lot more and he's still incredibly effective in late games in in close games you know uh just really high leverage situations he's great like, Scott Barlow was all around great. I love this guy. But, you know, relievers can be very volatile. You know, there are lots of cases where a reliever is really, really good for one year or two years or even three years. And then suddenly just, poof, just gone. You know, look at Craig Kimbrell. Look at Josh Hader this season. His second half was awful. Um, who else, dude? I guess using more historical answers... Wade Davis and Greg Holland and Kelvin Herrera. Like those guys had like three years. Each of them had like three years where they were the best relievers ever. And then just pff, like gone. I mean, Kelvin Herrera was great between 2013 and 2016. And then he was out of baseball by 2020. 
you know, Wade Davis was like the best reliever. He had like 2014 and 2015 Wade Davis is like the best reliever, the best two years of relief ever. And then he had like a nine ERA in 2019. I'm just saying that the life of a reliever can be very, very short. And it would make the Royals look very, very silly if they had one of the most valuable relievers in baseball for the for two years between 2021 and 2022 and they decided to not move him when they could have gotten some value out of him when they could have gotten pretty good prospects out of him i think and then he you know blows up and is unsalvageable later on not saying I want that to happen. I want Scott Barlow to have an incredibly long career, and I would love for him to stay with the Royals and be great for the Royals forever, because he's f- fantastic. In fact, uh, my mom had texted me uh, like a week ago, and she just thought, <laughs> she's like, oh, who, who's number 58 for the Royals? He looks exactly like you. And I'm just like, yeah, that, that, that's my boy. <laughs> that's my guy. I freaking love him. So it's not that I want him to leave, but at the same time, Gotta think about the long-term health of the Royals, I guess. And then finally, there was actually a 10th inning played in this game, and Taylor Clark came out to pitch that. He had a scoreless inning, and he finishes his season with a 4.04 ERA. Uh, Clark is someone who just kind of, um, like, he was actually pretty good, except for this one stretch of the season. Between May 12th, and June 25th, he had a 7.85 ERA. I re- we, we were remembering that, and we were just like, oh man, Taylor Clark, he's he's real bad. We got to get rid of this guy. What were the Royals thinking when they got this guy? And then after that, he really settled in. Uh, 2.41 ERA since then. So it's basically that one terrible stretch that he had for about a month. And then he was a, a solid reliever. So he's someone that I can also see coming back next season. And I, I, I like his chances of being good next year than Amir Garrett's, I guess. So overall, good, good, good game from the pitching. Awesome. Uh, these guys all had strong finishes to their seasons. And then the bats, well, it wasn't a crazy explosive offensive game. It was just a five to two game. Uh, Royals got a couple of runs. Guardians got a couple of runs. It went into extra innings. And then at the top of the 10th inning, Drew Waters hit a three-run blast to put the Royals up. And before that, in the second inning, he got an RBI single. So Drew Waters single-handedly won this game for the Royals. He kept them in the game by scoring one of their two runs and then gave them the lead at the very end of it. So he finishes his season with a 240 average and a 324 on base percentage, 479 slugging, five home runs, 18 RBIs. Just just a great debut from Drew Waters. And guess what? He's still going to be a rookie next season. He's he's not he hasn't even graduated from prospect status because I think you need like 110 at bats or something to uh be considered, you know, not a prospect anymore to have considered to be considered to have enough MLB experience to, you know, no longer have that status. He has not reached that. So, yeah, I think that Drew Waters is not only going to be um, a very interesting rookie to look out for next season, but I think this guy is going to be back in the top prospect lists. I mean, he was a he was a top 50 prospect before the 2021 season. He He could jump back to that. 
because the Royals have completely revitalized his bat. That was the one thing that, you know, really fell off for him in the last, you know, 12 months or so uh, when he was with the Braves. But then he came to the Royals and they completely turned it around. And it, this is just an awesome, super great get for the Royals. And I see no reason why the Royals should have Michael A. Taylor on this roster next year. You now have, we now have our regular everyday center fielder. It's Drew Waters. He'll be he should be here on opening day. He should be the center fielder on opening day. Find some somewhere for Michael A. Taylor to go. Trade him this offseason. There's literally no reason to keep him whatsoever. Because now it's it's Waters season, baby. And then we've got Isbell, we've got Olivares. Uh that that can be your 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 left and right fielders right there. And then, I don't know, Nate Eaton can substitute in as a fourth outfielder. There you go. Like, you, you, the, this outfield is more or less complete. I know that these guys need a lot more time. Maybe they don't play the field as well. You know, that's, that's the big question for Olivares. But we have a lot of options. No reason to keep Michael A. Taylor anymore. Although, he was great. He was valuable this season. He had a three-war season, <laughs> apparently. So, great. Good. There's no reason why you shouldn't trade him now. And then the Royals played a couple games after that. They lost on uh, whatever day it was. They lost 5-3 to because uh, Daniel Lynch, he had a Daniel Lynch start. He had four scoreless innings, and then he gave up five runs in the fifth. So average inning, outing for him. And then the last game on Wednesday, Royals got their patooies kicked by a score of 92. And I felt like this game was kind of a microcosm of the entire royal season because the game started with a Vinny Pasquantino solo home run how how great how wonderful awesome one to nothing royals vinny getting a blast great we love to see that that's his 10th on the season what a what a great season for vinny pasquantino and then immediately after um, John, uh, Jonathan Heasley was pitching and he strikes out Stephen Kwan. That's that's really hard to do. S Stephen Kwan is really hard to strike out, but John, but Jay Heasy, he did it. And I'm like, all right, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna you know for all the bad things that have happened this season, this last game, this is going to be good. I, I I'm liking this. And then the Guardians score four runs in the first. So that's how that went. And I felt like it was a, a an example of what the entire season has been like. Because if you remember, the, the, the first two games of this season were awesome. They were fantastic. They were amazing. We won those first two games. The first game, it was Bobby Wood Jr.'s debut, and he drove in the winning run in the eighth inning. And man, I don't know. I mean, no one no one listened to this podcast when I first started doing it on opening day. But after opening day, I came back and I, I, I was just saying that Kauffman Stadium, after Bobby hit that double, was like the loudest I've ever seen it. Now, granted, I wasn't around for the, for the playoffs or anything, so I didn't go to those games. But probably aside from that, that was like the most excited Kauffman Stadium has ever been. All right, they were... So like it, there wasn't there wasn't even a ton of people there. 
There was only like 28, 27,000 people who attended that game. It was cold. It was freezing. It was raining. It was windy. It was miserable to be out there. But then when Bobby drove in that, that run, the entire stadium was chanting his name. Bobby, Bobby, Bobby. And I'm like, oh my God. Like, <laughs> this is happening, dude. Like, this is going to be freaking insane. I can't believe this is real and I'm witnessing this. And it was so much fun. And then the second game, it was a scoreless game. A completely scoreless game. Then it went into the 10th inning. Guardians, we, yeah, we were playing the Guardians, believe it or not. They got a runner on third, one out. Someone, whoever, hits the ball up to the third baseman. Who's playing third base? Well, none other than Bobby Witt Jr. He dives, grabs the ball from his knees, throws it to Salvi. Salvi lays down the tag out at the plate. Scoreless game preserved. Bottom of the 10th, Royal score one and win. And that's like, dude, are you kidding me? Like Bobby Witt Jr., this guy that we've been so excited for single-handedly wins the first two games of the season for us. Just amazing. Just It was just so much fun seeing that. And then the third game, Royals lost 17-3. to <laughs> So, <laughs> and, and, you know, it didn't really get any better after that. Royals lost five games in a row, and they never recovered. So that's kind of uh, how the season went. It started off really well for about three days. And then it was horrible. And that's what this uh, one game was like. It was great for about 1.1 innings. Or actually not even more than that. It was, it was great for about four or five outs. And then it was terrible. Anyway, let's let's continue talking about this game. So Luke Weaver pitched. Ah, who cares? After the game, Mike Matheny got fired. And that's not all. Cal Eldred also got fired. Oh my god! Oh my god! They did it! What the hell is going on? I can't believe it! They actually did it! <laughs> and this was the weirdest thing. It was so weird because, like, af after that game, it was a day game. It was a three o'clock game for some weird reason. I went to bed at like six because I normally sleep during the day. And I woke up at like 11 o'clock at night. And apparently Matheny and Eldred had already been fired. But only for a couple of hours. Like there was no fanfare. There was no press conference. There was not even a fancy graphic on the Royal social media page. They just tweet out, Mike Matheny and Kyle Eldred will not be returning for the 2023 season. Huh? That's how you announce it? Like, this is groundbreaking news, and you just, like, say it. You, it's almost like they mumbled it. Like, oh, uh, uh, yeah, we're, we're going to fire Mike McFeeney and Cal Like, okay. I mean, look, look, I'm not complaining. I'm not at all complaining about this. This is great. This is wonderful. It's awesome. <laughs> I mean, I, I've, you know, shared my very mixed feelings about Mike McFeeney over the course of this season. And it, there is still a part of me that didn't, like, 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 I'm not convinced that Matheny was the problem with this team, but he definitely wasn't helping this team. And I do think that with such a disastrous season, probably is a good idea to get a new voice in the clubhouse. Because, again, Matheny's just not helping at this point. I still think Matheny could be a really good manager somewhere else. 
like the White Sox, if he goes to a team that has a playoff ready roster, supposedly, I know the White Sox missed the playoffs, but that's because of their manager, all right? I think that he can be really, really good. And I think that team could be really, really good. I think that he does have ways of utilizing players to their, um, I don't know, maximum potential, if that even makes any sense whatsoever. It just didn't work for the Royals. He was not the right guy for the Royals. Although, I, even then, I still don't dislike the hire. The Royals needed someone different from Ned Yost. And Matheny, at least for the most part, you know, for his first couple of years, I think, was basically the exact opposite of Ned Yost. Not that I dislike Ned Yost. I have an immense amount of respect for Ned Yost. I think Ned Yost was a phenomenal manager. And I'm really looking forward to, in like two or three years, when the Royals retire his number. Which I don't think is something that people talk about, like, ever. But it's going to happen in a couple of years. I mean, ha have you seen someone wear number three since he retired? It's going to happen. And he deserves it. I love Ned Yost. I think he was a phenomenal manager. He's a phenomenal human being. I think he's probably the only guy that could have done what he did in 2014 and 2015. I really do. I also think the game moved on from him. And he didn't really move on with it. He didn't evolve with it. He was just kind of like, ooh, they're shifty. They, they, they can't do that. They should ban that. I mean, yeah, I agree. He's right. <laughs> that is stupid, but uh, sorry, buddy. You can't just complain about it and <laughs> just say, oh, that's wrong. And, you know, uh, you either you either use it or you lose to it, basically. Uh, anyway, so I don't dislike Matheny's hiring. I think that it was a, the right idea at the very least. Um, just didn't work out. Basically, that's how I feel about it. I don't think it was this colossal, disastrous mistake that the Royals have made. It just didn't work out. But he needed to go. We needed to move on from him. We need someone else in here. Who? Not entirely sure. Um, There are lots of different guys that you could uh look at. Guys from great organizations. I remember, I think it was uh, Rosenthal who had an article on The Athletic kind of uh, mentioning that Matheny was on the hot seat and that uh, the Rays bench coach would be a good replacement for him. Lots of uh, lots of guys. There are lots of guys around. It's not easy to look around and see like, oh, who are some available managers? Who would be good as a manager? Kind of like how you can be like, okay, well, we need some starting pitcher. We need some starting pitchers. Who can we get that's a good starting pitcher? And then you just look at the list of players that are on other teams and are probably going to be free agents this winter. And it's like, oh yeah, we can get this guy. That's going to help us. Not so easy to do that for managers, front office executives, etc. So I, I don't entirely know who to replace Matheny with, but I will at the very least say that I really admire that Piccolo made this move so quickly. He made this move like instantly after <laughs> after the season ended. I'm kind of just imagining this scenario where you know the Royals they finish their game in Cleveland, they pack up, they get on their flight, they go back to KC, they get on the team bus, and then they drive up to uh, you know, they drive up to Blue Ridge Cutoff, and they're like, "Wow, there's a, there's a lot of trash." sitting out on Blue Ridge Cutoff. Like, look at all this junk. Like, someone just threw out their entire apartment right onto Blue Ridge Cutoff. Who, who would do such a thing? What a mess. They get to the stadium, they get into the clubhouse, and then Matheny, he notices his clubhouse is, or rather, his, his locker is completely empty, except for a chair. He walks in, 
The chair turns around and it's J.J. Piccolo sitting in there and he just says, get out. And Matheny's like, what'd you do with my stuff? And Piccolo's like, it's on Blue Ridge Cutoff. And then it's a mad dash to get whatever's left of his personal belongings before the homeless people come and swipe it up. Along with Cal Eldred, because, yeah, I guess we should also mention that Cal Eldred is also gone. He also got fired. That was a given, though. Like, that was, like, you could flip a coin on whether or not Matheny would stay or go. Cal Eldred was, like, 100% out. He, there was no way the Royals could take themselves seriously whatsoever and keep Cal Eldred around. Just, just that's just, no. Again, I don't entirely know, like, who to replace Cal Eldred with. And I also can't, like, convince myself that Cal Eldred was, you know, the problem. But he definitely wasn't helping. And uh, I don't know if he is, I don't know if he's like Matheny, where I think he could go with an organization and be pretty uh, helpful. I, I've not really seen any examples of Cal Eldred helping the Royals, like, like ever. But I love this, not just because this needed to happen, but because it happened so quickly. It happened a couple hours after the season ended. Piccolo wasted no time getting this done. And I think that's great because if nothing else, this is the urgency that the Royals need to show. They had a disastrous season. They need to be working double time to fix this, to get this right. And I understand it's going to be you know, it's not like an automatic process where, you know, you just swap out a couple of guys and then, oh, suddenly the Royals win 85 games next season. It's not that simple. I, I get it. But this is the kind of urgency that they need to show in the offseason when hiring new personnel or getting free agents. This is the kind of urgency that I expect J.J. Piccolo to show because based on what Sherman was saying in his press conference when he fired Dayton Moore... It doesn't seem like this guy is interested in waiting around another five years for the Royals to be good. I, I really feel like this guy wants to be in the playoffs within like two years. Like if in 2024, the Royals aren't at the very least fighting for a playoff spot within the last week of the season. Like if they're still mathematically in the race in the final days of the season, kind of like, you know, like if, if the 2024 Royals are the 2022 Milwaukee Brewers, you know, that, that's what needs to happen at the bare minimum. At least that's what I think his expectation was kind of based on what he was saying. And if that doesn't happen, Piccolo's out. I think that, I think that Sherman trusts Piccolo, but he's not going to wait a much longer for this team to finally show something, for him to finally get, you know, a return on his investment, if you want to look at it more in a business way. I mean, this guy bought the team in 2019, at the end of the 2019 season, basically, then got immediately slapped in the face by a pandemic. And even in 2021, when the Royals were briefly really good, still couldn't capitalize on that because stadium capacity was at like 25%. So yeah. This dude bought the this dude bought a team and has nothing to show for it so far. The Royals just put up their lowest attendance in like 40 years. Like 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 can you believe that? Do you have any idea how hard it is to beat the 2000s teams in attendance woes? That's insane, dude. I feel like that press conference was Sherman politely fed up with how this team has been. He's just like, yeah, dude, I, I, I kind of expected this to be better. 
after the three years that I've been around, really. And it's not. It's still terrible. But look, some things are in place. We do have a lineup that I would expect to get better as it ages a little bit more. And, you know, the pitching hasn't been great. At the very least, we have one good pitcher that we can hopefully rely on in future seasons. So it's not like the Royals are doomed or anything. They can turn this around. They can get better. So, yeah, I don't think that the Royals are a few years away. I think they probably are just a couple years away. So that expectation, put, putting an expectation on the Royals to, at the very least, be competitive in two years, I think it's realistic. I, I really do. And another thing for Piccolo is that, you know, what he does is going to be more important than ever because there are no more scapegoats in the Royals organization. There are no more excuses for failure at this point. You can say, you know, for everything that's happened in the last five years, you can blame it on Dayton Moore. The last three years, you can blame it on Mike Matheny. You can blame it on Terry Bradshaw, which they kind of did. They got rid of Terry Bradshaw. Great. Now the hitting's good. And then Cal Eldred. Okay? All of the most problematic people in the Royals organization are now gone. It's been, you know, two, three years since the pandemic, so you can't blame that on, you know, slowing down your progress or whatever because every other team has gone through the same pandemic. It treated everyone equally. So what Piccolo does is going to be more important than ever. He has no one to hide behind. He has no more meat shields to take the bullets for him. It's on him now. He needs to turn this team around in a couple of years. And I think he can do it because it's not impossible. And he had a um, press conference uh, just yesterday, basically the day after he fired Matheny and... and uh, I almost forgot his name for a second. I want to forget his name. I hope I never have to say his name ever again. Cal Eldred. And he said, you know, some things mostly about, like, the process of hiring a new manager, which I felt like were some, you know, interesting things and some good things that he had to say. Mainly that he's going to, they're looking at a lot of different people, which is great. They're looking at internal options. They're looking at external options. They're looking at guys that have been in the game forever, like Joe Madden. They're looking at guys who are new, guys who have never managed ever, everyone, which is great. They, they need to be open-minded about this, and I think that's going to help when choosing, you know, the exact right guy that they need. I'm not entirely sure who that is, but they're the ones who, you know, another reason why it's so good that they, you know, that he did this so quickly is that now, you know, you can take the time between the postseason and the actual offseason to, you know, get with the staff that you have left and actually, you know, evaluate your options. Look at your, your look at the rest of your staff, decide whatever else you need to do, and, you know, go into this offseason having a clear idea of what needs to happen. So that's good. And also in this press conference, he, he said that it's not impossible for the team to suddenly flip its record and become a 90-win team next year. It'll be very, very difficult, but it's not impossible. I agree. The problem is, the press conference he gave didn't have that same sense of urgency. I was a lot less excited about the offseason and the future of the Royals after that press conference than after they fired... Matheny and Eldred. Because when 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 that happened, when Matheny was fired, I'm just like, okay, this is serious business. They are not screwing around. This is going to be an incredible offseason. We're gonna get we're gonna get all the right guys we need. 
and stuff like that. We're probably going to see an entire overhaul of the pitching development as well. And yeah, this is going to be a great offseason. The Royals are looking really bright. And then Piccolo kind of shows up and he's just like, eh, you know, we're, we're, I mean, again, I, his his discussion about the manager position was great. But he also said that the minor league pitching development isn't going to be overhauled, or at least not entirely. Basically, Paul Gibson, who's the head of pitching development, he's, you know, the Drew Sailor of pitching for the Royals, he's staying. I don't entirely know how I feel about that because I don't, like, I, I'm not entirely sure who Paul Gibson is. I think he's only been around for a year. So I guess he's kind of unproven. But at the same time, the Royals minor league pitching was really, really bad <laughs> last season. Or this season, I guess. So I'm not entirely sure why you would want to keep him. I don't know. I, I'm going to just hope that, that Piccolo knows a lot more than I do, which he probably does. I'm just some guy on the internet with a microphone. What the hell do I know about anything? I just thought that was a bit of a strange decision. And another thing that worries me maybe a little more is that he kind of implied that the Royals aren't going to spend in this offseason, which is strange because he literally had just mentioned, or rather not had just mentioned, basically when he was made GM, right after Dayton Moore was gone, he kind of talked about how he wanted to bring in starting pitching in free agency, that he was thinking of getting two starting pitchers in this offseason, which I think is a great idea. I really think that's the, the biggest thing this roster needs right now. It needs a couple of solid starting pitchers. If you want to bring back Zach Greinke, okay. But then also get like a three-year deal on someone who, I mean, you don't have to go out and, you know, get the the, the big bang free agent. You don't have to get, for, you know, you don't have to get Carlos Rodon. But get a three-year deal on like Noah Syndergaard or someone like that. Just someone who is decent. That's what this roster needs. But then he kind of uh, almost like walked it back in yesterday's conference when he's like, yeah, Sherman is willing to spend when he thinks the time is right. And then also kind of said that this might not be the right time to spend. He kind of talking about how some clubs in baseball are high spenders and they miss the postseason, which sure is true. But it's not like the Royals are high spenders. I mean, what was our payroll this season? Like, what, $70, 80000000 million? Like, why can't you add $30 million in pitching? Like, right now. Why can't you get a couple of $10 to $15 million starting pitchers and then a $5 million reliever to, to add someone in the back end? Why can't you do that? That's not, you're not breaking the bank for that. And that kind of... These kind of comments actually disappoint me about John Sherman a little more than I expected. Because, again, with the way Sherman was talking on, you know, a, a couple weeks ago when he fired Dayton Moore, I, again, I really thought that he was, like, sick and tired of just sitting around and waiting for the team to get good. And that he's willing to, you know, put in the effort on his end to, you know, make this team better. And I think that at this point, he needs to put his money where, where his mouth is. He needs to open up the wallet and spend in free agency. Just Again, just a little bit. You don't have to go crazy. You don't have to sign $30 million a year to, to Jacob DeGrom. Just get a couple of decent pitchers, and this team can compete 
I really do think it can. I mean, I'm not saying when I say compete, I don't mean that you know they're a 90 win team they're gonna immediately win the go into the playoffs or anything but at the very least you could probably at least get back to 75 80 you can have a decent season which at this point i would freaking kill to have an 80 or even 75 win season you know maybe uh not in the way the royals had a 75 technically 74 win season last year which was just crazy and frustrating but you get what i mean hopefully and why would you not spend in free agency to get starting pitching? Like, do you really think that you're like, like again, assuming Cal Elder was terrible, which I, he probably was, I still don't know how you bring in a new pitching coach and then immediately get a return on Daniel Lynch and Chris Bubich and uh, Jonathan Heasley and I don't know, whoever else, Luis Castillo, not Luis Castillo, Max Castillo. Sorry, Luis Castillo is the good pitcher. Um, uh, Jackson Coar, whoever else. Like, you have so many young guys as potential rotation pieces, but our, you know, they seem so far away from reaching their potential of being actual rotation pieces. And sure, maybe next year with a new pitching coach, we can get one or two of them. But I don't know. It's it's kind of like the Royals. It's kind of like Piccolo thinks that he can get the entire thing turned around with just a new pitching coach. Now, I agree with one, you know, re- with one kind of um reason he has for maybe not spending so much, where he said that we just need to make, you know, better decisions overall and we need to build better infrastructure. I agree with that. But again, I think you can do that and also spend $30 million in free agency to get some pitching on this team. Just add some guys right now. And sure, if the young talent develops a lot better, then great. Like more power. Like like, what's the issue there? You're not. You're you're going to be even better in the future. Uh, so that was honestly kind of a disappointing thing to hear. I really thought that this was going to be a a crazy, hectic, and awesome off season where we get everything we want. But I don't know. Piccolo kind of walked back some things, and maybe it, it changes my perspective of how I thought this was going to go. Because again. The way I thought Sherman addressed the public, I kind of felt like his vision was to get the Royals back in the playoffs in like two years. And Piccolo's main task is to do that. But the way Piccolo talked yesterday, it didn't seem like he thinks that his he has a two-year deadline. It seems like he, he mentioned that, you know, last year was a big setback, which sure, fair, but that getting back to, you know, contention is going to be a slow process. And, man, that's not what I wanted to hear, honestly. He doesn't seem to think that there is a two-year deadline. I guess his leash is a lot longer than I expected. So, um, yeah, just just a little bit of a deflating press conference, I guess. I went into this, at first I was going into this offseason with maximum optimism, thinking, oh my god, we're we're saved. Things are going to get better from here on out. And, I mean... I still think things are going to get better because it's going to be really hard for them to find ways to make this worse (laughs) for things to get any worse than they are now. So there's that. But maybe things aren't going to be great for a little while longer. Maybe longer than uh, we were hoping, I guess. Oh, also, he mentioned that the hitting development core is going to stay where it is. So Drew Sather is still going to be the uh, 
the head of hitting development in the minor leagues, and then Alex Zumwalt is going to be the hitting coach. Mike Tosar and uh, the other guy, they're going to stay with the major leagues and keep their roles. Okay, that's fine. Zumwalt and Saylor, I would say, were my top two guys for being managers um, if the Royals decided to go with internal options, if they wanted to promote someone within, from within. And that's probably the best way to keep these guys around because these guys are freaking amazing and I hope they never, ever leave. But you know what? If he's like, hey, they're not going anywhere. They're staying right here and they're going to keep doing what they're doing. Okay, that works for me. But he also mentioned that the internal candidates are for being the new manager are Pedro Grafol, who's actually getting interviewed around by a couple other teams already, and Vance Wilson, who's the current third base coach. Uh, can I just say no to, to that? Grafol, I don't know. I don't know a lot about Grafol. But he has been around for a long time. And even before, I think even before Yost left, we there were discussions of him being a potential, the potential next manager. Or at the very least, a manager somewhere else. Like I've always been hearing about this. Like, oh, Pedro Grafol should be a major league manager. And for some reason, it hasn't happened yet. It could happen. Maybe the Marlins are going to get him. I don't know. I would just say I, I'm undecided about him. I don't entirely know, but... He's been around for a long time. Everyone seems to really like him. Players seem to really like him, which is great. So, okay. I guess I'm, I would be interested in that. Vance Wilson, I can also say I don't entirely know too well. Uh, the, the one thing I do know about him is that he sends Hunter Dozier home all the freaking time, and I hate it. <laughs> I freaking hate it, so I don't like him. So how about no? Because if Vance Wilson becomes our manager, then Hunter Dozier is going to play every day and he's going to, every single hit Dozier gets, it's going to be, he's going to attempt an inside the park home run and it's going to be a disaster. So no, no to Vance Wilson. And, uh, oh, and also our first base coach, Mitch Meyer is staying where he is. So, okay, fine, I guess. I don't don't know who that guy is either. He just exists, but whatever. So, yeah. So, I like Piccolo's discussions about the uh, the manager hiring process and the options that are around. He says he's going to cast a wide net, which is a good idea. I wasn't very enthusiastic about his comments about the pitching development and the free agent signings uh, or potential free agent signings. Because again, like in the same press conference, he talked about potential free agents or that he was going to discuss potential free agent signings with his staff in October. But then also he kind of said, like, uh, we're, we're not really going to spend in free agency. Like, which one is it, dude? I don't know. I got mixed signals from the whole thing. It was a little bit deflating. But at the very least, the the most important, most impactful changes that the Royals needed to make, they happened. They fired their hitting coach. They fired their pitching coach. They fired their manager, and they're fi- they fired their general manager, or rather their president. Technically, Piccolo's the general manager, so they actually he doesn't he didn't get fired. That um that when you when you put it into perspective, this organization was an incredible disarray. Like they like literally, you throw you get rid of the president, and then you get rid of basically the entire coaching staff in one season, dude. Like that is insane. <laughs> So, maybe Piccolo's right. 
maybe it is going to take more than a couple of years to get this together because that's a lot of damage, as one guy with uh, a lot of tape would say. I don't know, dude. But at the very least, they did it. Meow, you want to leave? Meow, I'll open the door. Meow. Or she just wants attention, I don't know. This cat just loves attention. That's about it anyway, though. Um, we are still going to have some discussions with uh, or about the Royals in the coming weeks. I'm going down to Monday and Friday uploads, so no more Wednesday uploads. And uh, yeah, things will continue for a, a next, the next month or so, maybe a little longer. I, again, I have some uh, topics written down. Maybe I'll uh, share with you what these actually are, if I can uh, find them in my stupid-ass notebook. Oh, roster review. Okay, that's going to be the thing that we do next. So, for the next couple episodes, we're going to review the the roster, basically everyone who played for the Royals this season. I guess we'll leave out the players who got traded away or are no longer here, because that doesn't really matter. It's basically going to be a review of the whole year and how it can um, affect next year. My outlook on them for next year. So we'll do that. And uh, for anything else, you can follow me on Royal Deluxe Podcast at Twitter. No, Royal Deluxe Pod. That's the Twitter handle. Or you can send me an email at royaldeluxepodcast at gmail.com. Give me other ideas for things to talk about. Ask me a question. What do you want to know? What do you want to hear? I would be happy to answer. I would ha be happy to respond. And I'd be happy to hear from you. So thank you very much for listening to Royal Deluxe Podcast. Thank you very much for making this podcast a part of your day. And I hope you're having a good one. I'm Lux. And go Royals.